Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, we're so happy you're here at Lighthouse. And whether you're here in the house and uh, we have people dialing in also uh, online over in Fostoria and people from home, we're just glad that the family is together this morning, uh, Sunday morning. Now, uh, we're going to start a little unusual this morning in that we have a big announcement to make. Now, if you were at the annual meeting of the churches combined, we kind of foreshadowed that something was happening in Bluffton. Anybody here remember that? Everybody's like, wonder what's going on down there. Well, this is what's going on down there. Uh, we have signed an agreement to purchase the center on the north side of Bluffton to be a permanent church for the Bluffton community. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a wonderful building. It's about double the size of Lighthouse. They're the child of Lighthouse, kind of, but they got the big building, you know, and they've been meeting there for about 18 months, and now uh, by the end of the year, we plan to close that transaction. Um, It's kind of cool to see in Bluffton uh, people every day saying yes to Jesus in so many different ways. It's a wonder to see all of that. You know, Lighthouse is less than six years old. And when you think about it, uh, Bluffton is a grandchild of Living Hope Church. You know, there's like the next generation uh, down the line is happening. Seven years ago, we were praying as a group at Living Hope about what God might be doing or wanting us to do and what to join in with him for the gospel in the city of Finley. And Lighthouse grew out of those prayers. Four years ago, uh, we were actually praying at the Youth for Christ building. You know, this building is owned by Youth for Christ, right? We rent from them. But we were actually praying in the Youth for Christ building in Bluffton, Ohio, people from all the different campuses, talking about what God might be calling us to do in Bluffton. And uh, the Bluffton community grew out of that. <clears throat> Makes me wonder, what might God do if we could see the world the way Jesus sees the world and we would pray uh, to that end? <clears throat> I was thinking about the four-year timeline of what happen- has happened in Bluffton. It seems like it's just been a moment. Uh, from the time we were praying four years ago uh, down in the YFC building, after that we went to the town hall right there in Bluffton. It's a noisy, noisy, kind of an echoing kind of building. And we would have uh, meetings there, talk about scripture and pray together and talk about what was going to happen next. And then COVID came and we tried Zoom and Zoom didn't really work. And so we just, it just stopped. And we thought, well, maybe, maybe it's over. Maybe this isn't going to go anywhere. But then uh, due to the ability to live stream services, uh, Ben had this idea, what if we just meet in my house? And what if we just have uh, people come there and we'll watch the live stream and have kind of a large family group right in the house? I don't know if the people that work in tech know this, but the, uh, the live stream of our church has become a valuable ministry tool that takes the gospel to places uh, to people that can't be here on a Sunday morning. Then we started meeting in the mercantile building. After that was all ready and we started, the building got sold. And so we went to the center and right now, they have the center just four hours per, per week on Sunday morning. They have a pod outside, and they have to like, get there early, hurry up, set everything up, and afterwards tear everything down. They have four hours on Sunday morning. And the opportunity has now come. Uh, the FETs are great people working with us. They really want to see the, 
uh, the, the ministry um, grow, and they've made it possible for us to purchase the center. So that's a wonderful story of things that God is doing for us. A couple things you can pray about. Uh, first of all, uh, a prayer of thanksgiving, thanking God for all of the people at Bluffton Community who are saying yes to Jesus every day in all kinds of different ways. We can pray for that. We can pray a prayer of thanksgiving that God has provided the center uh, for a permanent meeting space for the Bluffton community. And finally, um, I would ask you to pray for the Holy Spirit to lead in really remarkable ways. Now, this is kind of the fun time. When you think about uh, what God might be calling uh, the Bluffton Church to do, you can kind of imagine and, and, and vision and think about what God might be calling them to do and what's next for them. And maybe pray for the Holy Spirit to lead in a remarkable way as they kind of work through that process. A verse that uh, I'm reminded of when I think of Bluffton uh, is Jesus speaking, and he says this, Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white to harvest. And as a family of churches, we're focused on that, the 50,000 people who are lost and far away from God. And this, uh, this is a remarkable opportunity to take a, a big step forward uh, in Bluffton. Let's pray together as we begin. <clears throat> God, we come before you recognizing that uh, spiritual fruit is uh, the fruit of your spirit, that it's uh, because you're in us and you're working through us. And so we pray for the Bluffton community. We pray prayers of thanksgiving for all that you have done there, and we look forward to the things you'll do next. We pray for that uh, enormous uh, capacity just to hear your voice and to uh, move and to live in response to your spirit moving within us. We pray for that, that you would be with us and help us. I also pray for each person here today. As we look into the last part of Galatians, I pray that we would hear your voice clearly through the pages of Scripture. I pray all this through Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> well, today we're going to turn our attention to the very end of Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 25. And then we're going to spill into Galatians chapter 6. Now, Paul is writing this letter uh, to new Christians, to newer churches, and it was intended that these letters would be passed from church to church to church so that everyone would hear what he wanted to say. Now, Paul is very clear in the beginning of Galatians that when uh, he was getting ready to write and he was getting ready to minister to this church, he didn't go up on the mountain and uh, talk to other smart guys. You know, he didn't go and talk to Peter and the other apostles, but instead that he heard directly from God. And when he writes, he writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so in effect, uh, he is writing a message to us, a fairly new church, directly from God. And so when I read Galatians, that's the perspective I bring to the passage. This is, this is God speaking directly to me. Now, Galatians 5.25 is a, a really remarkable verse, and it's actually kind of the foundation for the Christian life in one verse. It's kind of a, a great summary of everything Paul has said before leading up to that point. It's all kind of encapsulated in Galatians 5.25. And then Galatians 6, the first 10 verses we'll talk about today, are some natural insights or natural outcomes that, that flow from what's said in the earlier part of Galatians. So the plan today is to, to read the whole passage all the way through so that it'll be top of mind. And then I want to talk about the outcomes first. So we'll go to chapter 6 
and we'll talk about some of the outcomes of genuine faith, and then go back to Galatians 5.25 and look at that foundation in a little bit more detail. So let's read together. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation, and this is what Paul says, under the direct inspiration of God. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly bring that person back into the right path. And be careful not to fall into some temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, You are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Paul is very clear. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself with anyone else, for you are each responsible for your own conduct. Those who are taught in the Word should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. Don't be misled. You can't mock the justice of God. You always harvest what you plant. Those who live to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what's good. At just the right time, you will reap a harvest of blessing if you don't give up. Therefore, Whenever we have opportunity, we should do good to everyone, but especially those who are of the family of faith. This is a message to the church. You can't do Galatians chapter 6 unless you're spiritually alive. This isn't something that you can do without the Holy Spirit working within you. Otherwise, it just becomes kind of religion. It just becomes moralism or something like that. Chapter 6 is meant to describe the natural response that people have in the church towards others in the church because the Spirit of God is living in them. I'd like to make a couple observations from chapter 6. The first is this. This verse, or these verses, are written to brothers and sisters in Christ. It's written to all of us. Okay? This is not written to the superhero Christians who have it all together. That's not who it's written to. It's written to you, and it's written to me, brothers and sisters in Christ. The godly people that Paul is referring to here are people who are walking in step with the Holy Spirit. That's who he's talking to. This isn't just a general moral code and good ideas, but actually something that happens when people are walking in step with the Spirit. This is not uh, talking to those who are superior to those who are inferior, In fact, I've noticed something uh, over time, and that is uh, people who are spiritually mature also fall into sin. And sometimes the roles that we have uh, get reversed in real time. Sometimes the person who is the person helping others is the person who then later needs help. The reality is this. Every single person in this room including uh, myself and Pastor Fritz and Pastor Matt, all the leaders, and everyone in the church will need to be restored at some point in our Christian life. That's inevitable. 
The goal in verse 1 is simply this. It's restoring Christians who are are caught in a sin. It's it's restoration. It's active. It's not a passive thing. Uh, This verse is encouraging us to do something for the benefit of other people. It says this, we should help those who have fallen into a sin. Now, it doesn't say we should condemn and punish them. It doesn't say we should be surprised and speak about them behind their backs. It doesn't say we should ignore them or try to manipulate them into doing things our way. It doesn't say any of those things. It's talking about sin, things that actually hurt the very nature and character of God. We're talking about that. We're not talking about preferences. This is goal-oriented. This is asking us as members of the family of faith to engage in the lives of other people, restoring them to the walk, their walk with God. It's, it's helping other people out of the same kind of messes that we know we get stuck in. It's that. It's us together as the family doing this in, in community. This is what Christians do for each other. That's why it's addressed to brothers and sisters in Christ. This isn't something you wait for the strong people to do for others. This is something that all of us do for each other. Now, this all begins with a particular attitude, that of gentleness and genuine humility. And it comes with this this recognition that I, too, will be a person that has to be restored at times. I don't come with a sense of superiority. I come with that gentleness, and I come with that humility. This is about Christians caring for other Christians in their spiritual lives. In fact, if I'm arrogant, it would be pretty hard for me actually to help anybody do anything. This is, this is speaking the truth in love. Love has the genuine interest of other people in mind, their spiritual interest. And um, yeah, gentleness, but it's truth also. It's speaking the truth and love. Verse 2 talks about sharing burdens with other believers. Well, I tell you what, to do that well, you have to be walking with the Spirit yourself to share the burdens of other people. You can't really do that either if you're not walking with other people. If you're not engaged and you don't know other people, how can you possibly fulfill what's said in this verse? Bearing burdens is different than trying to fix other people. It's not that. And burdens are heavy. And there are people in our church right now who have enormous burdens that they need help with. And God is calling all of us to help those uh, brothers and sisters that we know in the family of faith who have spiritual burdens that are heavy. It's messy. It's hard. But when you do it, it makes Christ smile. This is something he's called us to do as a church. We're helping others, and chances are others will help us in the same way. Now, verse 3 is particularly uh, striking in the way it's translated in the New Living Translation. The ESV says it this way, if you think you're something when you're nothing, you're deceived. <laughs> but I think, I think the New Living actually nails it. If you think you're important to help other people, um, yeah, you're not really that important. What God is saying to us is this is a family. There aren't these super Christians and these others. This is us caring for each other in the family of God. That's what Paul's talking about. Think about this perspective. Jesus 
is the creator of the universe. And yet when he came to this world, he had time for regular people. He wasn't high and lofted up sitting in the temple. He was among the common people, caring for the needs of others. You know, most people are just plain too tired to help restore other people. You know, I'll help you with shingles on your house, or I'll help you build a deck, but actually helping you in your spiritual life, that's high calling. That's not something we can do very easily. I don't think I'm overstating the case at all. I think what Paul is talking about here is a radical kind of Christian community where the church cares for itself, people caring for one another in a remarkable way. And as I said before, you can't do that unless the Holy Spirit is moving in you. Now, verses 4 and 5, I'm just going to go quickly through some verses here, uh, focuses on our work without comparing ourselves with each other. We're not keeping sore here. Um, We're just not doing that. Uh, Verse 6 talks about how we pay our pastors. We pay them financially, but also pay them with all good things. You know, I don't know if you know how important it is. You know, Fritz will mention now and then um, where someone has communicated back to him via email or a note or whatever, how important that is to encourage our pastors to uh, actually keep on keeping on when it gets tough. And those notes and those, uh, that sharing of life together is actually enormously important uh, to the leaders in ministry, to the pastors of the church. Verses 7 through 10 uh, reminds us in general terms that God sees virtually everything. We can't hide from God. And he, and he says it right there, we, we're going to reap the things that we sow. That's how this works. People who live to satisfy their sinful nature, you may not know what they're doing, you may not be able to see inside, but God sees. And people who are living that way end up in death and destruction. However, people who are walking in step with the Holy Spirit will experience everlasting life. I'm talking about salvation. Everlasting life that begins here on earth and is completed in eternity. And we are blessed if we keep at it. I think Christians should be uh, interested in helping all people. However, these verses, Paul says, uh, be particularly careful about people who are within the family of faith. He's talking to us as a church, helping each other. Now, if you're like me, I read these 10 verses, and I look at it and say, oh, man, how can I ever do that? How can I ever be the kind of person who can fulfill what he's talking about in verses 1 through 10 of Galatians chapter 5? Well, I think the, the good news is actually found in the foundation up in Galatians chapter 5, verse 25. You can't really do what Paul is asking us to do in Galatians chapter 6, unless you're walking in the Spirit as he has defined earlier in the book. So what I want to do today is kind of double down on Galatians 5.25. I want to talk about that in a little more detail in our remaining time today. Now Galatians 5.25 says this, Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Now, this includes helping other Christians who have been tripped by sin, and it includes uh, taking care of our pastors. All that is included. If you were to look at the Greek, 
Okay, just to like dive into exactly what is said. This is what's said. If or since we live by the Spirit, by the Spirit also we should walk. That's what Galatians 5.25 is saying. This is uh, what's called a plural, active, indicative. Okay, that's kind of fancy speak. It's an explanation to us of who we are in Christ, and it's in the plural. Okay, it's who we are together. This isn't uh, me and God. This is the church together in God. It's in the plural. And it's active. Okay, this isn't a description of something that happens to us, but instead, it's something that we do because we're in Christ. Since we're living by the Spirit, let the Spirit lead us in every part of our life. This is how I might uh, put a few words in there of commentary to make it very clear. Since together we have the Holy Spirit in us, the lives we live should bear the marks of the Holy Spirit in virtually everything that we do. That's high calling. That's what God has called us to do. But when you think about it, you know, dogs bark because they're dogs, right? Yeah, that's just a natural thing. And Christians display the character of God because from the moment of salvation, they have the Holy Spirit in them. We can't begin to think of chapter 6 and how to help other Christians in their Christian walk until we're walking with the Holy Spirit ourselves. I want to double down on verse 25 a little bit. I want to kind of peel back the onion and talk about some personal things, but uh, talk very clearly about the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, uh, as you read through the book of Galatians, actually through the whole New Testament, you'll find that there's, there's this enormous pushback between a religious, man-made religion of the day, the Pharisees and the scribes and all that, the teachers of the law, and the genuine gospel. There's this, this big pushback all the way through the New Testament, and uh, you see that all the time in the Bible. You, you see it in the life of Jesus, you see it in the life of the apostles. In this letter to the Galatians, Paul is pushing back uh, very, very hard against these false religious people. Because what they've done is they've tried to add something to the gospel. Okay, Instead of leaving the gospel pure, they're adding something to the gospel. And when they do that, it makes it not the gospel anymore. It turns it into religion. It turns it into something else. Nothing has really changed since Jesus' time. It's the same. It's the same today. It's the same when I was young. Now, I became a believer when I was about 12 years old. And I remember uh, that was a time where there was great confusion about the Holy Spirit. Uh, people in my generation will remember kind of the debate that was going on, uh, the culture wars, you might even say, that were going on within the church. There were uh, lots of people talking about speaking in tongues. And they were talking about all these ecstatic kind of experiences. And some people were saying that unless you have those kinds of experiences, you're not a genuine Christian. That was what was being talked about. Now, the church I was going to pushed back against that. And they said, no, 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 you're adding to the gospel. You're adding this, this ecstatic, this emotion, and you're saying that that is necessary to, to prove that you're a genuine believer. But then they overreacted because they're pushing back against this ecstatic and emotionalism. But then at the same time, 
What they're doing is they're adding list after list after list of things you must do as a Christian to be a, correct, a complete Christian. It's legalism. Okay? So they're, they're pushing back against these charismatics and they're saying, well, you can't rely on all that emotionalism and, and they're adding something to the gospel. And yet at the same time, they're, they're dumping all these rules and these obligations on people that, the, that nobody can really bear. It's what the Pharisees were doing in the New Testament. Whether you're adding ecstatic experiences or whether you're adding a bunch of rules to the gospel, either way, you're adding to the gospel, and the moment you do that, it's no longer the gospel. Now, I was a new believer. I knew that the Holy Spirit was in me. I sensed that. I knew that. I felt drawn to the scriptures and to prayer. But the church was dumping obligation after obligation on top of us. It was a complicated set of rules, and everybody was trying to figure out what was going on, and it was a confusing time. This mini-culture war was happening within the church. I remember some really, really bad outcomes from all of that. You know, I have a friend, or had a friend at the time, who uh, was into the charismatic thing, and he crashed so badly because his life was lived largely off the rails during the week, but he would go to church on Sunday and get all amped up emotionally, but he really didn't have God speaking to him, and his life really crashed badly. And then I also have a lot of friends from the old church who walked away from the church because the church became all about oppressive rules. It wasn't about a spirit-empowered life. It was about keeping the rules and appearances. And they correctly recognized that all the rules that were being propagated on them were actually just legalism. It wasn't really God at all. They knew that. But they overreacted because they missed the gospel in the process. And so either way, Paul is very, very clear in Galatians. We're not talking about emotional experiences. Okay? We're not talking about keeping religious rules. We're talking about the pure gospel. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit in every part of our lives. This is a foundational teaching of the Scripture, to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. It's the thing that gives us the power to do what's called upon us to do in in chapter 6. The Bible teaches us that from the very moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit is in the Christian's life. We live in freedom from sin because the Holy Spirit is with us. At Lighthouse, it is okay to ask questions about the Holy Spirit or any other thing about your Christian life. In fact, uh, you know, we've updated our blue card. You might notice if you're like the, the uh, kind of the detective, if you flip it over on the back where it says uh, prayer requests, there's another word added there, and that's questions. And you might not know it, but people regularly uh, write questions or ask questions to the pastoral staff here, uh, to to me sometimes, and uh, we actually engage folks when they ask questions about faith. And that is something that's completely okay to do, and it doesn't matter if it's a controversial topic. Those are things that we enjoy doing. Now, you might remember what Paul said in Galatians chapter 3 from the series that preceded uh, this one about a couple months ago. And there Paul says this, you received the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, because you believed the message about Christ. That's how we receive the Holy Spirit, by receiving the message about Christ. 
Now, I know there's a little bit of mystery about that and how that actually happens. And people ask this kind of question uh, very frequently. Now, I want to just walk through this a little bit. Now, people uh, on their own, without Christ, they're dead in trespasses and sin. They're, they're insensitive to the Holy Spirit. They can't hear his voice because they're lost in sin and they're, they're unable to respond to God. In fact, uh, in Romans, Paul tells us that people don't even seek God. And you know people like that. They're lost in their sin. They're not interested in God. They're just off doing whatever it is they do. We also know from John 8 that it's only as the Holy Spirit draws us to himself that people come to genuine faith. That's why we pray for lost people, because we can't save somebody. We can't create spiritual life in someone. All we can do is speak the truth, and the Spirit of God has to work, and the heart has to draw the person in. We know that from scriptures, from the scriptures. But this is something we also know, that God, in his mercy, loved us, and he gave us new life when we believed. There's a bit of mystery to God drawing uh, people to himself. I know that, okay? But the Bible makes no apology for that, that reality. It's the Spirit that draws folks to himself. I was talking about this very topic uh, a couple weeks ago uh, with a friend of mine. Uh, we, were working through, uh, we were working through the Gospel of John, and we're in John chapter 3. And in John chapter 3, uh, the account there is Jesus is talking to kind of the high-end a well-respected religious leader, somebody who's doubled down in man-made religion, okay, a Pharisee. And uh, Jesus is talking to him about spiritual birth. You know, humans create human babies, okay? Spiritual birth is about being born of the Spirit. It's a spiritual thing. And Jesus uh, compares the, uh, the, the Holy Spirit to the wind. You know, we can see the evidence of the wind, you can feel the wind on your face, but you can't see the wind. The wind's invisible. And in the same way, the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart of a person can't be seen. But the evidence is surely there as a person uh, is moved by the Holy Spirit into genuine belief. This religious leader, just like people today, are very lost uh, in their understanding of who God is until the Spirit of God awakens our hearts. But back to Galatians 3, Christians... Uh, receive the Holy Spirit when they believe the message about Christ. Since together we have the Holy Spirit in us, the lives we live should bear the marks of the Holy Spirit in virtually everything that we do. This is not a call to guilt or fear. Instead, this is a call uh, or this is a description of what it's like to have God in our lives, a life that's being transformed. Now, Galatians uh, chapter 2, verse 20, I think there's a verse for that up on the screen. Uh, Paul is describing his own life, and this is how he describes himself, uh, a man who's walking in step with the Holy Spirit. My old self has been crucified with Christ. You know, you nail your sin and your past, you nail it all there, it's forgiven. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's a description of the Christian life. It's, it's Christ in me. And I know it because I read it in the scriptures. It's clear, but I also experience it. 
I know Christ is in me. I sense that every day. This was something promised in the Old Testament scriptures, the promised Holy Spirit living in me. And it's the Holy Spirit working in me, giving me both the desire and the capacity to do the things that he's called me to do. I want to take a little detour with you for just a minute, because we're trying to contrast what's true against that which is uh, to the side. Okay, so I want to take a little contrast, and I want to play the devil's advocate for just a moment. Now, if I were the enemy, and we know there is an enemy to faith, right? And my goal was to destroy your faith and this church in the process. I thought about how I would do that. Well, the first thing, I would never debate truth. I would never get into a substantive discussion about genuine faith. I would avoid that at all costs. Because if you study faith really well in the Scripture, you're going to end up there. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't go there at all. Instead, this is what I would do. I would focus on every distraction I could think of. Okay, for instance, I would not be upset if people aligned with kind of the religious kind of Christianity, you know, good ideas without the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. I wouldn't care if you're a try-harder Christian or if you're an inactive Christian that just kind of coasts. I wouldn't really care as long as it was kind of a nominal thing and there was no genuine heart change. I would let sleepy Christians sleep. That's what I would do. Secondly, I would encourage rule-keeping, okay? Because um, if people are keeping score or they're feeling guilty or working hard, whatever it is and however that comes out, uh, they're going to get stuck, and they'll never really find God in the process of keeping rules. Now, I would discourage anybody from thinking too much about the Holy Spirit. I would tell them, those Holy Spirit people, they're just plain weird. Yeah. I would try to build in as much religious obligation as I possibly could, because as, if people are, are stuck in religious obligation, they're never going to find me. I would help Christians nurture their grudges. And I'd give them lots of reasons not to forgive other people because I know that when people can't forgive, uh, they're stuck. They'll never find God. And this is the best one. I would trick Christians into thinking that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is another obligation to try to achieve rather than a description of what it's like to have the Holy Spirit working within them. I would replace love, joy, and peace with obligation and guilt and fear. That's what I would do. I would trap them in religious obligation the best I could. I would help them keep their prayers very simple, <clears throat> things like the weather and traveling mercies. And I'd keep them busy with good things like family and work and recreation, so that they're so busy, there is no capacity, there is no quietness in their life. Because when we're quiet before God and we're humble in His presence, that's a serious risk, people humble before God. And the final thing I would do is I would isolate them from other believers so they get stuck in their own thoughts. I wouldn't care, really, if they're judgmental of other people, or if they're fearful of relationships. It wouldn't really matter to me at all, as long as they're not in genuine community. Because either way, when a person is alone, they are mine. Those are actually thoughts directly from the Scriptures as we push back against the enemy who is very real. 
in stark contrast to everything that we know about Satan and and demons and, and their work in this world, this is what Paul is saying in Galatians. It's all about Christ in you. It's all about walking in step with the Holy Spirit. It's all about the freedom that we have in Christ. Those are the kinds of things Paul talks about in Galatians. The work of the Holy Spirit is so important to recognize in the lives, in our lives. And I remember I was thinking back as I was working through this uh, passage about how it was for me in the very beginning. I remember uh, very clearly when I was 12 years old, uh, sensing that God was drawing me to genuine belief. I sensed that. I knew that that was happening. I couldn't really describe it. I was, I was interested in what was going on. I knew intellectually that Jesus had died for my sin. I knew that. I knew that he had risen from the dead, and I believed the overwhelming evidence. And when I confessed, and I, and I also knew that when you confess your sin, that God is, um, God is faithful, and God is just, and he forgives sin. I knew all of that. And I remember the day that I actually... Uh, it was it was like a like a class with a bunch of kids. We were like sixth graders, and Mrs. Wayman, you know, and we sat there, and she knew what was going on in me. She could see that, and she asked me, "Do you want to do you want to pray? Do you want to?" Conf-? And I did. I prayed. I confessed my sin before God, and I asked God to be my savior. And I remember very clearly sensing the presence of God's Holy Spirit with me at that moment. I remember that very clearly. And since then, I've been very aware of God's presence in my life through thick and thin. And I think that that's uh, actually normal for a Christian to have that sense that the Holy Spirit is in you. That might sound weird to you, okay? Particularly if you're not a believer, and this is kind of strange. You know, we're talking about the Holy Spirit in us, and that might sound a little strange. I understand that. Um, But if you're listening and you're not yet a believer, um, I want to talk to you a little bit about how it works for me. How do I hear the voice of God? That's an important topic. And for me, it's this. It's, it's, uh, God speaks very clearly to me as I read the pages of Scripture. He speaks very clearly to me as I hear others talk about what the Scriptures say and share the clarity of the truth of God. And he works with me when I engage with other believers who are genuinely following God and they're on the path, walking in step with the Spirit. All of those ways, I hear God in an authentic way. It's not an audible voice. God doesn't speak to me like a microphone or, or in words that way. But I've been at this a little, a little while. And over time, I've learned to figure out the difference between my own thoughts and when God is speaking truth to me through His Word, uh, whether it's reading His Word itself or with other believers uh, or others uh, speaking to me in a remarkable way. In Galatians chapter 4, this letter to the churches, Paul uh, says, you know, the, the goal here is for Christ to be fully developed in us. There's a recognition that it takes time for us to uh, hone the skill of actually hearing the voice of God in our lives. Okay? But I would caution you about something that I think is really incredibly important. And that's this. If you isolate yourself from the Bible and you isolate yourself from other Christians, it's very unlikely that you'll ever hear the voice of God in your life because those are the sources of the voice of God. 
We need God's word in our life. We need other believers in our life. You know, I need Galatians 6 in my life. I need other Christians helping me along the path walking with God. I need spiritual brothers and sisters. The normal case in my life has been this. As I grasp more about the character of God, who he is, and and I read about him in the scriptures, the things he's done and what he cares about, uh, that changes me. That's what spiritual transformation is about. We see, we see the face of God and, and we're changed because of it. The war with sin never goes away. I, I understand that. I'm not Pollyanna. And I find myself confessing sins regularly. And sometimes it's more about uh, kind of perspective and attitude more than it is actions. Sometimes it's both. But my heart is changing a little more each day. And that's the evidence that the Spirit of God is in me. This life is a long journey. And there are a lot of people I recognize more and more that are way ahead of me. And those are the people that we need, the Galatians 6 people, to speak into our lives. In recent days, I've spoken to a couple different men uh, about uh, scriptures and and found that in in a couple cases that they don't spend any time in the scriptures at all. And it's a dangerous place. That's what I'd say. You know, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. (laughs) You know, uh, he's the one who identifies us as his own. Uh, He's the enabler to help us stand against sin. He's the one who is the enabler to help us share our faith with people who are lost. Uh, He's the one who brings restoration and hope. He's the one Uh, who gives us assurance that we are, in fact, the children of God. If you're a genuine believer, the Holy Spirit is in you. You might be caught up um, in a religious substitute if the Holy Spirit is not in you. And it's important to, to know whether the Spirit's presence is there or not. On the back of the blue card this week, I've uh, put a verse there, Romans uh, chapter 8. And that's a a chapter all about the Holy Spirit. And I would encourage you to spend a little time this week and just kind of dial in on Romans 8, maybe reading it multiple times and thinking clearly about the Holy Spirit in your life. In fact, if you want to expand a little bit more than that, Romans 6 and Romans 8 are great places to go, or Colossians 2 and 3 going back through the book of Galatians. It's all about that. It's the Holy Spirit and learning to hear his voice. Since together we have the Holy Spirit in us, the lives we live should bear the mark of the Holy Spirit in virtually everything we do. And the outcome of that from Galatians 6 will be this, real Christian community where we help each other in our walk with Christ. Prayer leaders will be coming here and they'll be in each corner of the building as we do here at Lighthouse regularly. And this is an opportunity for you to pray with somebody this morning. Uh, It doesn't have to be an earth-shattering thing. You can pray, pray a prayer of thankfulness. You can pray a prayer asking God to forgive your sins. Whatever's on your mind, uh, this is a time to pray. Uh, There's going to be one more song. uh, And as they uh, play that final song, this is your time Uh, to pray with somebody else in the family of God who cares about you. Thanks for joining us. 
If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 909 or 1111. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.